0: Hello, and welcome to the Virtual CISO Chronicles podcast, where I interview a virtual CISO, or sometimes called a fractional CISO, about their work and life. I'm your host, Caroline McCaffrey, one of the co-founders of ClearOps, which provides software to virtual CISOs that helps them grow and scale their businesses. As experts in this field, we have met hundreds of security consultants over the years, and we keep our fingers on the pulse of cybersecurity and data privacy. My background is in law, and specifically data privacy and cybersecurity law and regulation. I love learning about how people build businesses, and so I started this podcast to feature interesting people in cybersecurity to talk about their passion and business. If you don't know what a virtual CISO is, then these are security consultants, security experts who offer consulting services to companies. Sometimes they're referred to as fractional CISOs. Our guest today is Ed Gardner. Thank you so much for joining me, and welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks. Nice to be here.
0: So there's a little bit of background. I'm going to introduce you, but I'd love to just jump right in into your own background. It, uh, you know, were you talking more about your own background? From my research, you have almost 30 years of experience.
1: Oh, don't um, say that number.
0: Sounds- <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah. sorry about that. But you <laughs> you did start early jumping into security, it seems like, when you were a, a principal consultant at Net solutions
1: and even before, that, and at, even before uh, that at the artist formerly known as cambridge technology partners um and Novell. so it's yeah yeah i've been doing it for a while
0: what got you originally interested in cybersecurity? uh
1: so um like well, i have been doing it for quite some time uh, i'm not going to say that number again i when i got out of graduate school um I was sort of flailing around looking for something interesting to do. And I'd always had a a penchant for technology and uh, uh, my first job had nothing to do with security, but I ended up helping manage a small office uh, and that small office had a bunch of computers in it and those computers needed to be connected together. And then eventually those computers ended up on the internet and then eventually those computers ended up with a lot of viruses. So <laughs> it, it very quickly became my job not only to make sure that things were working but also to clean up the mess that the internet made with uh, with viruses on uh, on all of our work computers. So it uh, it very quickly transitioned that from that into um, really developing an interest in you know what the bad guys were doing, why, and maybe how to stop them. Um, my background is in hard science, so there's a lot of data analysis, a lot of Pattern recognition, and uh, moving into the security field uh, was almost uh, second nature by then because it's a lot of just staring at at information and trying to make sense of it.
0: That's really interesting. So, you your personal interests is on the sort of data analytics. It sounds like. Sorry. Yeah, well,
1: I mean, I, I don't, I don't know that I could say that any longer. But that's certainly how I got here. So, so looking at uh, a massive information and finding that needle in the haystack that represents the bad actor uh, was a lot of how I spent my my earlier career. Uh, But you can't do that very long without people asking you questions about other aspects of business operations as it relates to security related stuff. And uh, our customers, when I was working for the larger consulting company years ago, uh, brought us on to have a strong opinion about how to secure their infrastructure. So we spent a lot of time in the dot-com boom dealing with people building websites and those websites needed to not uh, fall prey to bad actors. So we spent an awful lot of time helping them secure their infrastructure and making it available on some of the other stuff. So um, a, a lot of tech and a lot of tech sort of analysis and the data thing uh, ended up being second fiddle to, you know, the helping people figure out the broader context of their of how security should work in their organization.
0: That makes sense. Well, I, what I really want to do is I want to jump into your first role as a Chief Information Security Officer. Um, yeah. Talk but, more about that. How did that happen? How did you get to the CISO role, and and then how did you, how did that change what you were working on?
1: Yeah. So, so the name CISO didn't exist when I started doing CISO work. uh, <laughs> uh I'd spent a lot of time in consulting. Uh, right. So I spent some time doing doing real work for quote, quote unquote real work for, for real companies. And then I moved into consulting in the in the 90s um, and the 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 rabbit the rat race of doing consulting and getting on airplanes at five o'clock on a Friday so that you could be somewhere, you know, in L.A. on a Monday yeah. got a little exhausting. So I started looking around for how to how to apply what I learned as a consultant, but back to the other side of the desk. Um, And uh, I ended up working for a company called Soundbite Communications, uh, who was looking for somebody to run the security program. They're doing things like selling to large banks and credit card companies, and they needed Mm -hmm. to uh, behave as if they knew what they were doing. And part of my job was helping prop up that security program. So that was really my first uh, other side of the desk uh, experience as a CISO. Uh, I think I had a director title. I think it was a uh, director of security and compliance or something along those lines. Um, but what it really was is what we would call a CISO today. Okay. And working and- with the organization and, you know, telling the developers, please don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Running change management uh, and, and building the program out so that it could be audited so that they eventually could go public.
0: Got it. And so did you stay internal to a company for for your next role or when did you yeah so for for
1: maybe about 10 years i sat on the other side of the desk um uh spent some time at soundbite they uh they went public um a a former colleague of mine that i knew from the consulting days needed somebody to come and help sort through uh, security related issues because they had some that they wanted uh an expert opinion on um so i i took a i took a chair running security and insurance company for for several years Hmm. Um, and uh, that was interesting. So there was a combination of like looking for bad actors because people like to do bad things to insurance companies, but also, you know, dragging the the organization into the 21st century from a compliance perspective, helping run audits, that sort of thing. And then uh, I did a short stint as an actual CIO uh, with uh, with responsibility over security uh, at a small software company. And that was what year is this? Uh, that was uh, 2015, and okay. uh, I decided that I didn't really like working for other people after all. So <laughs> uh, we propped up uh, we propped up NEsp, and uh, at first it was just me, uh, and now we've got 12 people.
0: So I want to dive in a little bit to the fact that it seems like, from what you just said, you the the um, Soundbite was going public. It sounds like you left once they had gotten public or something like that. And my main question is, do you prefer private companies? Is that what kind of your career when you were on the other side of the Yeah,
1: and I'd say that uh, the the vast majority of our customers today are our customers in that profile that that Soundbite was way back in the day. Uh, And they went public and then they got acquired by a much larger company. Uh, But uh, the getting... It's always the new challenge, right? So you're each company, each small company is doing something slightly differently, and usually they're full of really smart people, and they're propping up this organization from scratch, and helping folks navigate that and getting ready for whatever the next adventure is, It's uh, it, it, it never gets boring you look for a larger company and you're there full time and and larger company is often public, but not necessarily Mm -hmm. always. And then you're mired in bureaucracy and you're mired in, you know, we've always done it this way. And either the security stuff is really robust or nobody cares. Um, You know, so I like being involved uh, in the smaller private shops because you have an opportunity to influence what they're doing and hopefully make things better.
0: That makes sense. And have there been any mentors along the way that, you would specifically think, or that come to mind when I ask you about mentors that have sort of guided you through the uh, well, process. I, say, I guess really
1: arrogant. No, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I I I did I did a lot of reading.
0: Right?
1: Okay, so Bruce Schneier, uh, sort of the eight hundred pound gorilla in the security space. Sure. Yeah. Sort of my virtual uh, mentor. In terms of, you know, everything that he wrote really resonated with how I understood, you know, the work to to be right. You know, what made what worked, what didn't work, you know, stuff that made sense. Um, I've actually I've met him once. Um, He doesn't know that he's my virtual Sherpa. But but yeah, a lot a lot of reading in that in that vein. So I would gravitate towards, you know, folks uh, who would write things uh, about the subject and. I found myself having strong opinions one way or another, so uh, a lot of it's sort of self-taught.
0: That's that's really, I mean, but it's been also makes years, sense. So.
1: Well. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, but but I mean, I think when you when you talk about someone who's essentially an entrepreneur, which you are obviously because you started your own business, um, so I think a lot of entrepreneurs do self-teach themselves, so it it makes a lot of sense. What do you think is the hardest part about starting your own cybersecurity consulting business?
1: uh sales (laughs) (laughs) um you know i'd spent time at the consulting companies playing as you know you know sales consultant right to Mm -hmm. go with the sales guy or gal and uh and uh and and give the give the whole conversation maybe some gravitas that it didn't have because it's not just a salesperson it's somebody that's actually a practitioner in the room but uh i've never been particularly good or at least i never thought i was particularly good at 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 uh, convincing other people that they needed me it was sort of the the thing like well obviously you need me so getting over that bit of uh possible arrogance uh was was an interesting thing and in, in keeping track of what you're doing and making sure that you know there's always you know making the rent is important and yes. uh, and making sure that you've got the pipeline so sales um i think the the second challenge associated with it is then it really then it sort of dovetails into that it's convincing people that they that they need you without scaring them um Mm. i find a lot of a lot of security consultants at least maybe not now but you know it's unclear if they're still doing it that you know we're selling through fear yes um and what we do doesn't have to be entirely fear-based you should be you should have a healthy respect for the bad guys uh but you know a lot of what we do can be folded into the organization in a way that actually improves their ability to do their jobs. Um, you know, security doesn't have to just be a cost center. Um, and I think what we've found in the last um, 10 years or ish, eight years, nine years, however long it's been since I've been doing the NESP um, is people are coming to us because they need to implement a security program because they need to get a, a SOC to, or they need to be PCI compliant or something because it's a sales enabler um yeah. and you know convincing people that it's you know it's more it's going to make you money not just cost you money
0: i mean you and i are are singing this the same tune on that one i i really do agree with you that i don't like the the use of fear in order to convince people that they need cyber security i run around telling everyone who will listen to me that having a good cybersecurity program in place really is a revenue generator not a cost center um of course there's costs involved but, you know, it's not a total revenue part of the business, but you cannot these days close close sales without having cybersecurity in place. It just is. It's just a fact. So totally agree with you there. I, I'm curious, though, when you say that sales is your hardest part, how did you or how are you solving for that hard part?
1: Well, we just hired a salesperson last fall, so uh, I finally Great. My, <laughs> I finally did solve it by getting it off my plate. Um well the, the thirty years is a long time to be uh here, and I've been in the Boston market for most met much of that, if not mm-hmm. most of that, if not all not quite all of it, almost all of it. um and that uh is a small town for a big city. um so knowing people uh n- almost. 90% of the work that we did early on in the first few years was, was people found out that I was doing consulting and remembered me fondly and asked me to help. Hmm. Uh, so a lot of referral. Um, and then getting good business partners, getting folks that uh, that don't necessarily compete with you, or maybe they do a little bit, but where you can, you know, help them fill in gaps or do things that they're not allowed to do so you know we we've managed to make some friends in the uh, in the cpa industry and those cpas can't do the implementation of the work that's necessary in order to get to whatever the alphabet soup audit you're going after so we uh you know we make friends and sometimes we've known those friends for many years and they you know they end up at the cpa so i've got a, a really good friend who's uh who, who sold me stuff at soundbite and then ended up at one of these CPAs that we work with. So it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a very small town and everybody knows everybody else. And if they don't know you, that's usually a problem. So <laughs> <It's laughs> a lot of referral.
0: So how do you balance? I mean, now that you've hired a salesperson, maybe it's less of an issue, but how would you balance sales and marketing and then doing the work? I mean, that's a lot when you're a consultant that you have to have all these different hats.
1: A- absolutely. And that's one of the reasons why we have 12 people, right? Because the 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 first hire that we made was uh, uh somebody to do the books. Hmm. Um the occasional 1099 would help me out, but it's like I needed to get to the point where I don't wanna, I'm not a and I'm not an accountant, right? So mm-hmm. I'm not somebody that can run the books effectively. I know just enough to be dangerous, and that makes me extra dangerous. So, uh, you know, getting people to do stuff, right, that takes that stuff off of my plate. So when you're starting out and it's just you, it's I've got to be sales, marketing, collections and consultant. And one of those things has got to give because you can't in one, you know, in one breath, say, please give me more money or or uh, I need you to do this thing in order for us to be successful. And then the other breath say, where's my money? Yeah, <laughs> so, <definitely. laughs> uh, so, you know, getting, getting the stuff that is, that you're not good at off of your plate into someone else's hands as quickly as you can. And then, you know, like hired people, right. I knew, I've known a lot of people, a lot of people have worked for me over the years. Uh, and uh, bringing them on to do projects means that I have more time to do, you know, business operations or sales. Uh, and then really is setting aside the time to do the sales, you know, grooming the existing clients and say, hey, let's think about what you're going to do next year. Or how, how can we, uh, you know, how can I help, uh, you know, what else, what else do you got for me kind of thing. Uh, hmm. But really setting that time aside to make sure that at least once a week I was sitting down and looking at the CRM and seeing, you know, what was coming next um and then at the end of projects it's you know hey do you have any friends
0: yeah yeah that's that's that is one of the most key questions to ask (laughs) i think in in order to have um like you said if you're in a business that is a close community and a lot of it comes from referrals you got to ask for the referrals uh just makes a lot of sense after a while
1: started picking up steam and you know it, it started almost not quite taking care of itself um but that that only lasts so long, and then you got to get a salesperson, and they've got to go out and find the new stuff, not just groom the old.
0: Right, right. So turning turning a a little bit away from the the bolts and nuts of your business, and and asking you um, to give me a couple of different perspectives. So, what security issues kept you most busy in twenty twenty
1: two? It's it's weird. You know, most people would probably say something along the lines of, uh, you know, all the remote work and maybe even coming back to the office. Many of our clients were already well positioned to not be in an office. So none of that stuff really had much of an impact. I think we had one client that had a call center that was still in operation and we had to do some interesting things around security there. Uh, understanding vendor management and understanding risks mm. associated with vendors um, got a lot of play
0: okay.
1: uh, in twenty two and, and in twenty one. Um, it probably has gotten a lot of play for you know. It's it, it probably was at least the number two or maybe number three prior to that in terms of stuff that customers were uh, could needed help with, might not have been doing quite right, and everybody was scared about. Um, you know, it used to be the number one thing I cared about is like managing change in the org- technical change in the organization and making sure that there was the the right amount of bureaucracy in order to make sure that developers weren't just building stuff and putting it in right into production, but a lot of vendor stuff right so you mm-hmm. had a lot of the breaches. Made a lot of the news. The news cycles have picked things up much more rapidly in the last three or four years. Hmm. Um, so it's top of mind, and it's top. It ends up being top of mind, even if you're sitting, in a, you know, in a pub and having a beer, and somebody finds out that you're doing security stuff. It's like, oh yeah, I heard about that, you know, Experian breach or whatever.
0: <laughs> That's interesting. I mean, I, I from a from my perspective as an attorney, watching all these state laws go into effect. I mean, we had CPRA in California just go into effect. We have the new Virginia law, Colorado. Um, they seem to be really focused on vendor management as well. So I've been curious if that is going to be a continuing trend. Um, I mean, I also know that I think eight states so far in 2023 have new data privacy laws that are going- New, because I think
1: it's like, think of something like 20 or so, 20, like half of the states have something on the books. Mm -hmm. Uh, Massachusetts has had one since, when was that,
0: 2003?
1: Yeah. Yeah, something like that. It's been a while. Um, yeah. so navigating that, that patchwork is, uh, is a challenge. Uh, but yeah, I think that, I think you're going to continue to see, uh, increased scrutiny on, on vendor management. I'd say that probably about three or four years ago when everybody started really embracing the, you know, the DevOps world, mm-hmm.
0: um,
1: they started throwing out a lot of the, uh, the, uh, you know, we don't need a document for that. And that, that's challenged us over the last couple of years. Um, at least in getting uh, getting governance over over the stuff that needed governance in order to survive in order to survive an audit. Because like I said, most of our business is helping people get ready for the audits, and then they keep us around after that to to help answer those questions because we're cheaper than hiring somebody.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, that, and I mean that's the, the the beauty of a virtual CISO, right? Is it's um, it's I wouldn't quite call it on demand cybersecurity consulting, but but it certainly um, does help businesses.
1: S- some Either. of our customers do deal with it as an on demand thing. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> well, that would be a topic all in of itself to talk yeah. about and how you're how you're handling that one. Because that, that's the challenge as a business and how you staff and how you predict revenues and yeah. those types of things, I would think. Um, yeah. but what my point was that that I I also think virtual CISOs are not just to supplement to be a part time in-house CISO. But that also companies with CISOs could benefit from having a virtual CISO to help them with either discrete projects or, you know, kind of be that second second person who's taking on some of the work that they can't do because they have a lot of um, I would say executive administrative type of work that they have to Yeah, no, they,
1: they do i I'd, I'd agree i'd agree with that and i i say this a lot when we're talking with with our customers we're not a staffing agency i'm not i'm not putting a i'm not putting a, a my butt in a seat uh just to sit there and wait for you to you know have a question or run meetings or whatever like we try to focus what we do in a very project oriented way mm. like what is our goal what are what are we trying to work for and structure it that way. Now, of course, as you wander through the organization, you pick up things and, hey, can you help with that? And you can help with this. Uh, but, you know, trying to focus it less on a, I'm solving a staffing problem for you, and, and more on a, I'm solving a problem for you that happens to need extra, you know, extra hands on a, on a keyboard uh, to explain to people or to project manage something or, or uh, to uh, come up with uh, whatever the, you know, come up with the solution. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's not, it's not a, if you want a staffing company, there's plenty of places that staff, right? Okay. Yeah. So we, yeah. We help, we'll help the CISOs or the people who have been charged with security who might as well call them CISOs, but don't happen to have the title, um, get through, um, uh, you know, complicated things that they don't have enough time to, to think, uh, you know, uh, you know, put, put enough thought into and get get, uh, get the right answer.
0: So on that note, and we only have a couple minutes left, who is your ideal customer?
1: Um, Smallish to medium-ish startup, high-tech folks that that are going to have a problem selling to their target audiences because all these tech shops seem to want to sell to large institutions because, well, that's where the money is. Um, And, uh, you know... Young enough to not have a lot of sort of already baked, we've always done it this way sort of notions. Um, probably in that anywhere from like 15 people up to maybe 100, 150, um, because that's where you start to to see some of those challenges where you start to see, uh, you know, you need some bureaucracy in order to manage things. And I, and you know, bureaucracy isn't necessarily a dirty word here. Uh, but yeah, so small to medium, high tech. Now that said, we've got customers that range from universities to uh, uh, to very large uh, organizations. Uh, though we usually end up with those because the people we were working for got acquired.
0: Yeah. <laughs> uh, the the cycle of business. Okay, well, let our listeners know where they can find you, and maybe add a little bit about the type of projects that you like to work on.
1: Yeah, so uh, you can find us on online at uh, https. Uh, All the appropriate punctuation colon backslash backslash uh, newenglandsp.com. And uh, if you need to talk to me, there's a little button that says find me and you should be able to find me. Uh, The sorts of projects that we do, uh, I'd say 85, 90 percent of our business these days is People having that emergent compliance problem that a large customer said in order to sign this contract, you need to go get ASOC 2, or you need to be PCI compliant, or we'd like you to get an ISO 27001. And that structures our projects in a way where, okay, we're working towards that goal. But as we're making you, we're bringing you into compliance with those standards, we're also building scalable security uh, uh, programs that will persist beyond the audit requirement. Uh, and hopefully uh, make the business run a little, a little smoother. So if you awesome. got a SOC2 problem, where, where, are your, where are your folks?
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Ed, for joining us today. Really can't tell you how much I appreciate it. And if you are listening, you can find all our blogs and this podcast on Substack at the Security Expert Marketplace.
1: Thanks a lot.